I'm Alex Breitenbach. I'm Sean Cabrera. And this is the Big Red Hockey Cast, the official podcast of Cornell Big Red Hockey for and from the line of faithful, sponsored, of course, by the Big Red Sports Network. And of course, per tradition, we always thank you for listening and check out the Big Red Sports Network at Cornell BRSN. That's Cornell BRSN on Instagram to never miss out on any Big Red action. Now, firstly, before we delve into this episode, I just have to provide or rather give a massive thanks. Thanks rather to our producer, Michael Farku, for pinch hitting for me on this episode, Sinbin and Slapshot Round. Thanks, Sean. No worries at all. And, you know, speaking of the Big Red Sports Network, we produce a lot of different podcasts and one of them, Around the Gorge, which is released every Monday, gives a quick update on everything Big Red Sports. And we actually discussed the big series win against North Dakota. So definitely make sure to check out Around the Gorge. And honestly, it was my pleasure to help out. And it was a great Sinbin and Slapshot round. So make sure to stick around for that. And, you know, I guess with that out of the way, it's finally time to break down the games we were all waiting for all season. The homecoming of Captain Cody Haskinen. Alex, tell me what happened in North Dakota on round one. All right. Of course, round one of this two-game matchup against the number five Nodak. Now, this is the game, like you said, we've all been waiting for. We've asked every guest we've been on, I think, that has said um, what game that we're most looking forward to. They've all said North Dakota. And this game, arguably, this game gave me a heart attack. Uh, I'll I'll be honest. And uh, a a big... um, I don't know what stuff you can't say on air to the uh, North Dakota TV streaming people for charging you 25 bucks to watch two games. That was unbelievable. Anyways, with that out of the way, this game did not go as I, as many of us were expecting um, because it is, it's a four, three comeback victory. Just what we needed off the heels of a sweep against Arizona state. Uh, we were down three, one, uh, at the start of the third period, and we we scored four goals and came all the way uh, three goals and came all the way back. And so we get, with that we had goals from Jack O'Leary, assisted by Cody Haskinen, the captain, and Sebastian Durbin, respectively. And then a goal from Kovic, assisted by Malinsky and Zach Tupker. Andreev um, also scored with assist from Jack O'Leary and Andre Pianichka. And then uh, Sam Malinsky scored on the power play assisted by Ertl and Malone. So with those power play percentages, we're like, we like it 50%, a much better improvement from uh, against Arizona, one of two on the power play and still decently strong on the penalty kill. However, we did give up uh, one power play goal um, to North Dakota and goaltending. Again, I was very, very pleased with Cornell's goaltending Ian Shane standing on his head, 23 saves on 26 shots. So a very, very good performance from him, especially what, and and what an honor might I add, you you know, just the, the vibe at, at, at North Dakota, this huge arena, for those of you who are able to watch it, an unbelievable uh, arena, a very, it's, it's huge. Has a lot of people there, a lot of Nodak fans, quite a few big red came out as well uh, to watch it. So what an honor for Ian Shane, 23 saves on 26 shots at the other end of the ice, for Nodak, it is the infamous Zach Driscoll. Well, he wasn't very infamous uh, on Friday. That's what I'll say. 14 saves on 18 shots. Not 
his best performance there. But uh, that being said, Ian Shane, just the man of the hour right there. And that's pretty much all I got for Friday night. A great game. But, Sean, what happened on Saturday? Well, on Saturday night, the Fighting Hawks did draw first blood with a power play goal just two minutes into the game. Not really something characteristic of Cornell given their penalty kill premise or power, I guess, throughout the nation. But, of course, first shot on goal, first goal of the game from the Fighting Hawks. But I guess this gave Ian Shane and the rest of Cornell a wake-up call as the Big Red produced three unanswered goals. And, of course, 3-1 victory for Cornell. That first goal was scored by Kyler Kovich. Uh, he scored it just four minutes after Nodak obviously scored the first one of the game. And he was assisted by the Tupker twins. That's pretty cool. Of course, Andrei Pjanicka increased Cornell's scoreline 2-1 to one with an assist from Hank Kempf and Max Andreev. And of course, our captain, Brendan Locke, put the nail in the North Dakotan coffin as he made it 3-1 in the third period with assists from Cody Haskinen and Justin Ertl. Now, if we're going to look at power play statistics, Cornell went 0 for 4, but they did produce six shots. So we are seeing a little bit of improvement. You could, well, one could argue a bit of improvement. So kudos to them on that. And of course, with the penalty kill, Cornell went 3 for 4, facing three shots in total. And once again, North Dakota managed to score on just the first shot of the game from a power play. Now, speaking of North Dakota with Cornell and statistics, in terms of faceoffs, uh, the Fighting Hawks did manage to beat the Big Red by a rather stunning number, 34 to 29, once again in faceoffs. But in shots, it was a pure Cornell bonanza. It was a Cornell monopoly. 33 shots from Cornell against North Dakota's 20. North Dakota's 20, that's 13 more shots. That's simple math. And, of course, we're going to look at goaltending stats. Ian Shane, you said man of the hour. You can make him the man of two hours. <laughs> Another heroic performance from the freshman netminder as he saved 32 of 33 shots, allowing one goal equaling to a 9.69 save percentage. All not in the man of the weekend. All. Yeah, man of the weekend. Let's, let's put it that. Maybe not a little more than two hours, one could say. Yes, yes. And if we're going to look at the opposite end, Helston from the Fighting Hawks had an well, he had an average night as he saved 17 shots of 20, which which equals to an 850 save percentage. So yeah, that's your overall stats. It looks like Cornell managed to somehow sweep the Fighting Hawks. Yes, yeah. I, I, yeah, I know, and 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 that that was. Cr- crazy look looking back on it i mean because i remember thinking that first game i'm like oh this first game's not going well and 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 that was something to to get the sweet revenge of that comeback is unreal and and to see that so we needed that that was a great pick me up after such a terrible week beforehand and now and then on top of that we get the sweep so like you know definitely something to um to be desired there now i have a a question for for you sean because i think that and before i get into notable performances from this weekend how do you think ian shane's uh performance has shaken up the goalie trio like what do we what do we (laughs) see in terms of the outlook for goaltending for the big red we have three very very capable guys now who do you go with going forward i mean in your opinion now, I'm going to have to be honest. I Based on momentum right now, because inertia, it's all in his favor. 
I'm going to have to put in Ian Shane at the moment. That being said, you know, Cornell's goaltending trio is untouchable. You know, they set up a golden standard, a golden bar. But Ian Shane right now, a freshman, basically a debutante. This is only his second game with Cornell, I believe, after the ASU game. Oh, second and third game, respectively, rather. And he's doing a stellar job at the moment. He's doing yeah. absolutely stellar. You might as well give him a little more time on the ice just to, you know, I guess, you know, wet his toes a bit or I guess feel the freeze of the ice, better said. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. But that, but that being said, I would totally trust Ian Shane right now. He is on fire. Again, 32 saves on 33 shots. Yeah. 32 consecutive saves. Uh, unbelievable. He made the – yeah, exactly. That was essentially, aside from the first shot of the game, it was, yeah. a, I'd call it a 32 save shutout. Exactly. I mean, yeah, because he, he, you know, you let the first goal and he's like, and, and this is not something that you'd expect. You'd expect like, oh, you know, a first goal on the first shot. You know, you see it so many times in the National Hockey League. Goalie gets one goal on one shot and then everybody's like, oh, no, you know, this is not going to be good. I'm telling, like, to say that this man stood on his head is an understatement this weekend. And I think uh, he deserves all the praise in the world for that. But anyways, yes. Yeah, so it definitely shakes up the, uh, the question of goaltending for the big red uh, going forward. So definitely something to keep an eye on. And with that, I'll get into the notable performance. So as we know, uh, the Cornell penalty kill was not perfect, which is a once in a blue moon occurrence. It seems this weekend, you know, they uh, had that one game where they let in a power play goal. And another thing that's interesting here is that uh, that second night on Saturday, coach Schaefer was actually absent due to illness. And of course we obviously wish him a speedy recovery. Um, so that left coach Ben Sire behind the bench on Saturday night. No Matt Steinberg from for either game uh, due to uh, injury, so uh, very unfortunate for him. Seems like he sustained an injury in the second round against ASU, so he did not get to play against Nodak. Very, very sad. And additionally, um, Ben Berard, uh, also strangely absent from both games. I don't know if that's an injury or, or what. I remember the Nodak commentators saying something about it during the game, but I can't exactly remember what they said. Uh, but I know he was out. Uh, and then also with the absence of uh, both Steinberg and Berard, uh, Andreev is, has now moved up to be tied with Steinberg for the most points on the Cornell squad at 19. And another thing here, uh, Pjanicka registered a point on his birthday, got an assist, and he got a belated birthday gift in the form of a goal the following day. So, I mean, what a weekend for Andre Pjanicka. I mean, and that is crazy. You know, gets a point on his birthday, and if only he had scored on his birthday. That's all I could say. What's it? Uh, Pavel Buchnevich, who scored for the Rangers on his birthday a couple of, well, okay, he plays for the Blues now, but yeah. before, uh, last year on his birthday, he scored. So I was thinking, had the echoes of Pavel Buchnevich there, except he didn't uh, He didn't get it done on his birthday, but he got a point. So kudos Close to him enough, and right? a very happy birthday to yes. Andre Pjanicka, of course, from all of us here at the Big Red Hockey Cast. And then, so let's talk a little bit of um, standings statistics here so with that uh with the sweep of nodak cornell has actually knocked nodak out of their fifth place reign as now they are in 10th place 
behind Cornell. Cornell is now ninth uh, in the USCHO.com uh, polls as of January 10th. Uh, so now it's it's looking even sweeter. You know, as we <laughs> begin to climb, we knock Nodak out of fifth place. What what a it's it, that's just crazy. And additionally, Cornell's still in the lead in the ECAC, although arguably in the point standings, they should be behind Harvard, considering Harvard now has 20 points to our 18, although that's really only because they've played one more game. I think they lost in a shootout or they lost. I'm not entirely Hmm. certain on that. But still, Cornell at the top of the ECAC thus far. And after all of that, after a great uh, weekly recap, we have a very, very special guest in the sin bin. He is my personal idol uh, from Cornell Hockey. I actually have a picture with him and Ben Scrivens from his senior year in 2008. It is none other than the Topher Scott. That was an amazing conversation. And so with that, let's get right into the sin bin. Welcome back to this edition of the Sin Bin on the Big Red Hockey Cast. And this is an interview I've been waiting for for a very long time. And I'll get to why later on in the podcast. But first of all, let me introduce our guest, Topher Scott, a Cornell alumni and a former Cornell hockey player and coach. How are you doing, Topher? Good to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited for this. It's uh, it's always an honor and a pleasure to talk about Cornell and Cornell hockey. So thanks for asking me and uh, looking forward to letting it rip here. Oh, of course. Well, with that, let's let's jump right in. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. And uh, so the Big Red have recently had a chance to play teams outside the ECAC, um, but often it's the division rivals that spur the most excitement. And during your tenure with the Big Red, who was the opponent that you always felt like you had unfinished business with? Well, I think anybody would tell you it's probably Harvard. I think the, yeah. the rivalry that you have with Harvard is, is one that's pretty special uh, just with uh, how the town rallies around it, not just when we're playing at Lina, but when we're playing out at Bright in, uh, in Cambridge as well. And so that's, that's one that I think everybody gets, gets up for. We played against them in the ECAC, you know, the four years that I was there, we played against them in the ECAC, uh, either semifinals or finals two, uh, three of the four years. So um, it was always, it's always good, right? Cornell and Harvard are always good teams. Rivalries happen when good teams play against each other a lot, meaningful games. And so that was always one, you know, I think there's unfinished business even now as an alumni, <laughs> every time Cornell's playing Harvard, you want to kill him. And uh, one of the guys that I work with Rob Rassi here in Chicago, he's uh, he coached at Harvard for, for a while there too. So we always get a little bit, uh, a little bit riled for that one as well. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Was the uh, the the fish big back in the day? I mean, it's probably bigger than it is now. It still still exists. We still do it, but like it's kind of more like underground. I'd say. Yeah, the security security's a little bit tighter, I think, now than they were back in you know the late 2000 era uh, that I was there for. But yeah, it's uh, the fish was always fun. The the rink, especially down at ice level, always smelled for the first period or so. So you had to kind of get that out of the way. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, what an awesome tradition and and. Uh, uh, it's uh, it's a lot of fun to play in that rivalry and coaching that rivalry too. Yeah, 
Yeah, awesome. And well, for those of you who don't know, uh, Topher led the team to back-to-back ECAC championships, splitting a pair against Harvard. So what was it like winning a championship uh, with the Big Red in 05, especially against Harvard? That That's something that, you know, you rarely get to see, you know, a big rivalry game for the championship. Yeah, I mean, those games are awesome. And there's there's nothing like competing for a championship with guys that you go to war with, uh, you know, every day, not just uh, in the games, but compete against each other in practice and, and make each other better. I think those games, you know, we were fortunate enough to win it in, in 05, and then we came up on the losing end in, in 06. Um, you know, championship games are a culmination of a lot of hard work that nobody sees. You know, not just on the ice, battling against each other, but also just the team building, the camaraderie, the stuff that you, you do together away from the rink. And, you know, that's one of the special things about Cornell is, is just having a bunch of guys who you love that you get to get to do what you love with. And so, you know, the culmination of that, and especially when you're able to play against your rival in those games, you know, it was equally as, as elating in my freshman year as, as it was heartbreaking in my sophomore year when we lost. But, you know, those are the games that you remember. And those are the games that, um, you know, they really kind of stick with you for the, for the good and the bad. Yeah. And I figure, and what do you think was so special about, the, the team your freshman year and your and your sophomore year that, that really put you guys on top like what what was it that made that team so special or those it was teams? just the guys you know mm-hmm. it was the guys in the locker room I mean we had unbelievable leadership from from our older guys you know I, we had great uh, team chemistry uh, you know we did everything together on the ice off the ice and everything in between and, you know, you ask any hockey player what they remember the most. Sure, they're going to remember the championships and the games and everything. But what you remember, what you miss the most is just that camaraderie within the group. Um, you look back on, you know, the captains that we've had in those couple of years, Mike Knopfley, Mike Eagledon, Charlie Cook. And you look at Matt Molson, the Abbott brothers, Johnny Gleed. I mean, whether they were you know, heralded guys that were in the stat sheet every night or whether they were guys whose roles were a little bit more to, you know, play defensively and block shots and stuff. I mean, we just, everybody had roles and that's the stuff you remember, just everybody bought in and it was just such a pleasure to be a part of. And and now being a coach on the other side of it, you, you kind of look to those teams and you understand having going through those experience, experiences, how important that player leadership is and how important that culture is. And you try to do as much as you can to, to help cultivate that. Yeah, I was going to say we had uh, we had coach Benny Sire on, on last week and he was talking so much about because I'd asked him about like, oh, you know, about the transfer portal and recruiting. And he's like, you know, I, like I like building it out long term because it's chemistry that makes the championship yeah. team. Would you agree with that? Yeah, you know, college hockey is in a weird place right now where, you know, some rules are changing from a recruiting standpoint. And with the transfer portal coming in, you're going to see teams go one way or the other. You're going to see teams filling a lot of spots with transfer transfer portal kids, and you're going to see teams not doing that as much. And it is like it's uh, if you have so much turnover within your team, it's tough to really build that camaraderie and, and chemistry because there's guys going in and out now if you're really good at team building then maybe you can you can handle that but yeah I agree I think you're going to see teams have success that stay true to who they are and I think that's one of the reasons why Cornell has been so successful forever it's just you know I know what it means to be a Cornell hockey player everybody knows what it means to be a Cornell hockey player and that develops over time it's really hard to just snap your fingers and and, and know what that means and uh, yeah I, I agree with Benny and and I think that uh, him and Shafe and, and Flannery are going to do a great job of bringing in the right people yeah 
Awesome. And over your time with the Big Red, you got to share the ice with some huge names in Cornell hockey, uh, namely the ones that come to my mind, uh, Ben Scrivens, the Nash brothers, Colin Greening, and like uh, what you said, Matt Molson, right? Were you were you ever on the ice for Matt Molson's tenure? Yeah, I played two years with Molson. Oh, yeah, nice. my first two years. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. And what, what, do you still keep in touch with your former teammates? Like, is at all or is it like kind yeah of- for sure you know it's it's funny i mean you, you still have everybody's number and you still check in every now and again life gets a little hectic now that you know yeah. we're at the of the ages where everybody's starting to have kids and families and careers and and so sometimes it gets lost a little bit more than you would like but yeah i mean still keep in touch with so many and, and i've been fortunate enough you know you, you kind of come in and when you come in, there's the, there's an older group and then you get older and then there's a younger group too. Right. So I've yeah. been fortunate enough to keep in touch with, and especially the guys that have stayed in hockey because mm-hmm. I've been in hockey still, I, I, I still am in hockey. I coached at Cornell for a while. And so it was a little bit easier for me to keep in touch with maybe some of those guys. But when I was coaching at Cornell, that was one of my favorite things is when guys that I played with would come back to visit, you know, they want to come back and they'd want to show their kids uh, a Cornell hockey game or, they just missed it, you know, and they wanted to get oh, yeah. back for a weekend or whatever. And and so, uh, yeah, I'm sure yeah, I still keep in touch with quite a few guys, to be honest with you. It's, it's always fun to reconnect. Um, and, yeah, it's just a special camaraderie that you build with your four years here. Right. Yeah, and I know it's very special that we get to have you on the podcast because you're, without a doubt, one of the most storied alumni to play for the Big Red. You know, over your four years – you tallied 107 career points after graduating in the 07-08 season. And then, as you said, you returned as a coach in 2011. And then that lasted until 2016 for a good five years. And so what about Cornell made you want to come back and coach? I mean, I love Cornell. <laughs> I think that's yeah. uh, that's a big part of it. And, you know, I, I love to play hockey, too, and, and couldn't imagine myself doing anything other than, than being a part of, of, of hockey and being a part of a team. And, you know, when when I approached Shafe and we started having conversations, because I, I was lucky, too. I mean, I was really lucky in the sense that the year that I was getting into coaching, um, both assistant coaches left. Uh, for other jobs. So Casey Jones got the head coaching job at Clarkson and he's done a great job there. And Scotty Garrow, uh, he went in and left to, to go to Princeton to be a little bit closer to his wife's family. And I, so I got really lucky because I didn't really have any experience. That was a learning experience in and of itself. Um, but, you know, just having the opportunity to come back to, to Cornell. And, and I think the best part about honestly coaching there is I like, I, I enjoyed my experience so much at Cornell. I wouldn't have traded it for anything in the world. And then having the opportunity to provide that to other kids and, and other families, because it isn't just the kids, you know, the parents are involved and invested and, and brothers and sisters and grandparents and stuff. That was a really cool part of my job. And, and I would have coached college hockey anywhere, but the fact that I got to do it so quickly and got so lucky to be able to do it back at my alma mater, um, it was just, it was like a dream come true. It was really cool. You know, I, I, I'd imagine that'd be really special. And, you know, you're still a pretty young guy, you know, coming back and, and being a coach. Was it kind of weird coaching people, you know, some guys that are just in your spot a few years ago? Or do you think that kind of gave you a, an advantage? Uh, I think a little bit of both. Obviously, when you're a young coach, you learn a lot. And and when you're a player, you don't really understand the ins and outs of a, of a full day of a, of a coach, you know. So when you're younger, it's you, you kind of get thrown in and, and you got a lot to learn. 
and you make mistakes and you learn from it and, and kind of go from there. So as a young coach, you, you just got to accept that you're going to make mistakes and you're going to learn. Um, but also I think being a young coach, it allows you to connect a little bit more with the players, right? Cause you were in their shoes not too long ago. And you know, I think the older you get, maybe the more removed you get from feeling the feelings that they're feeling and remembering the everyday grind that it does to your, your body and, and the mind, because it, being a college athlete, especially a you know, corner hockey player is not easy. It's a, it's a grind, you know? So um, being a younger guy and, and being a little bit closer to having gone through that experience, I, I can connect and empathize maybe with the, the players a little bit more, um, but it certainly was a learning experience. And it was great to learn from, you know, Benny and Schaefer, two of the best in the business. And so having the opportunity to, to watch them on an everyday basis made me a lot better and um, was a great learning experience. You know, I'd imagine there'd be a lot to kind of learn on the fly. Was there something in particular that didn't really necessarily come quite naturally at first and took a lot of time to kind of get down? I, I think the recruiting part of it is the biggest learning curve. You know, I don't think you understand just how much of a grind that is. You know, you're on the road 150 to 200 days a year. And it's not just going and, you know, watching kids and saying, Hey, I like that one. Let's try and get them here. There's a, there's a method where you got to be on the phone all day and you got to be building relationships with different coaches around the country. And you have to be doing your due diligence and you have to be talking to other people, maybe some NHL scouts or people in certain areas to get tips on kids and things like that. So, you know, that was something I didn't really understand at first. Um, Ben Sire is, is, if he's not the best recruiter in college hockey, he's certainly one of the best recruiters in college hockey. So it was great to, to watch him in action and, and doing his thing. And, and again, you're seeing now uh, with Cornell being so high in the country and, and having so much success, a lot of that has to do with the recruiting part of it. And so, um, you know, I think that was probably the biggest learning curve, understanding what it means, understanding how hard you need to work, understanding just all the ins and outs that you have to accomplish every day. Um, and then, yeah, the, so that was probably the hardest thing to, uh, to really get good at, if that makes any sense. No, yeah, that, you, make, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It was great to have Benny on too. And he talked about that, you know, last week and, you know, coming as a coach, you said, you know, as a player, you don't necessarily get to see the whole behind the scenes. So was there something when you became a coach that was kind of like, Oh, you know, this wasn't as bad as I thought it might be, or not quite as challenging or just kind of came naturally to you? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's all a puzzle that you gotta, you gotta keep putting the pieces together. And I don't want, I don't know if there was necessarily anything that came easy. I, I think just talking hockey and stuff is always fun. And, and that's one thing I loved about, I, like I tell people that I got a PhD in hockey, being in a coaching room with, uh, with Shafe and Benny and some of the other people that I've been fortunate enough to work with because we talk hockey all the time like hockey nerd central type stuff, yeah. you know, watching video and being at the whiteboard and things like that. So, you know, I, I think it, it, but none of it really comes easy. You just try to be yourself though. Right. And, and you try and um, work as hard as you can. You try to build relationships with the players. Um, it, it's hard to say if any part of it was easy. There was a lot of it that was a learning curve and a lot of it was tough. Um, but it's, it was a, just a fantastic experience. Oh, I'll bet. And and going back further in time, when was that moment in, in, in your childhood that you realized like, man, I'm really good at this hockey thing. Like I want to play hockey, <laughs> like not even the decision that made you come to Cornell, but like, when did you discover you hockey was your thing? 
Uh, well, to be honest with you, like I came from two hockey families, you know, my, my dad played hockey in college, my mom, her brothers played hockey and that's actually how they met. Right. Like my mom's oh. brother and my dad played college hockey together. Yeah, oh. So, you know, I was kind of born with skates on people like to joke. I was the first grandson on either side. And, and so I was kind of like, you know, dude, you're, you're going to be playing hockey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I just, I just kind of took to it really, really young. Um, was always playing in the basement or uh, you guys are younger, but playing Sega Genesis, you know, NHL 94 and NHL 95 and uh, hockey was my life. It's all I, all I wanted to do. And it, it contempts 36 years old. Now it's still all I want to do. Um, but yeah, it was from a very young age that I kind of knew that this was going to be my passion. And, and, uh, then you, you know, you invest a lot of time into it. You put a lot of work into it. Your family sacrifices a hell of a lot of stuff to, to provide you with the resources necessary to, to follow your dreams. And, uh, yeah, that for me, that was, that was pretty young, pretty young, oh, yeah. like two. <laughs> oh yeah. I'll, I'll bet born with skates on. That's a great way to, to put it. And, uh, definitely as a Chicago boy, you know, you got the Chicago steel. So what, what is it like to, to, to grow in that program with the Chicago steel? I know they, they're a, a, a very awesome program. We've had a number of Chicago steel alumni come through, um, Cornell, especially, um, uh, what's it, Ian Shane, who's who's our goalie right now, used to play with the Chicago Steel. Yeah, it, it. You know what's funny? Like my first year in junior hockey was the Chicago Steel's first year, so it was very new at the time. And to be honest, like it, it's a lot different nowadays. USHL specifically, like everybody kind of knows what it is and knows what junior hockey is and knows the path back. I mean, this was geez, 20 years ago now that I was playing my first year there and we didn't really know what it was, to be honest. I just showed up to a tryout and made the team. And so, um, but Chicago, yeah, I mean, I had unbelievable experience there. I, I like to say that the USHL and junior hockey is what really makes a man out of you. It's the first time in your hockey career for a lot of kids that it's, it's an absolute grind. You're playing 60 games and you're on the road on the bus for 30 of them, maybe playing three games and three nights in three different cities. Uh, you're playing against kids that are, that are older than you are. And you really got to fight and grind for it and learn what resiliency is and things like that. Um, and I was for really, really fortunate to have really good coaches, you know, when, in my time in Chicago, uh, I had three coaches. One of them is the director of player development for the Washington Capitals. One of them is the scout for the Capitals. And one of them is the director of player development for the Vegas Golden Knights. So, uh, yeah, you can't help but get better when you have coaching like that. And, and junior hockey is one of those kind of like college too, where everybody just bonds through, <laughs> through the ups and the downs and the long season. And so I, I still keep in touch with, you know, a lot of the junior hockey players that, that I played with too. Yeah. But I was going to say, aren't uh, you work in tandem and we'll get into this in a second, but uh, you were contended with Mike, Mike Garman, right. Who, who's the coach of the, the goalie coach for Chicago steel. Sure. Yeah. I mean, Garms, well, Garms is general manager of the, of the steel now. So oh, really he got the big promotion. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you got a promotion. No, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he, uh, yeah, him and I keep in touch for sure. Mm -hmm. And we were actually just texting the other day because, you know, he's the GM of the team now and he's looking for players to fill the steel. So he's, you know, looking at a few of our guys. Um, and so he was looking for input on scheduling and, and what I thought of a few players. And, and so he's done a great job there. And, and that's a big part of recruiting, you know, is, is just yeah. forming those relationships. And when you have those kind of already in the books, you know, from past experiences, both of us played at Cornell, so you can kind of bond over that yeah. stuff. Um, that, that certainly helps, but yeah, he's doing a great job there in Chicago, won the championship, uh, last year and, and, uh, more big things to come for sure for them. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'll be. Uh, and and so, I mean, looking back on your time in juniors now, um, what ultimately made you decide to go to Cornell? Like, who did you? I remember a whole bunch of people uh, that we've uh, a whole bunch of players we've had in the podcast. Well, said you know, oh, we just met Ben Sire because <laughs> we met Benny Sire, and then he brought us to a Cornell game, and it's like, oh yeah, I'm hooked. So what was that experience <laughs> like? For like, what I know because Ben Sire wasn't there back in the day, but you know, what would what made you want to come to Cornell in 04? Yeah, I think there was a couple things. Um, education was always something that was important to myself and and especially my family. And so, but I was a hockey player, number one, you know, and the year that I came to Cornell was two years after they went to the Frozen Four. And so I knew that it was just an unbelievable combination of academics that could potentially set you up for, for life after hockey. And also the hockey side, you know, you're going to a program that wins. You're going to a program that sells out its, its barn. You're going to a program where you're going to be playing with guys who are going to the NHL so you can be challenged to get better yourself. And just that, that combination, I actually didn't see a, a game at Lina until the first game that I was playing. And my visit out here was during the summer. And so, um, and, and the, the players that I, uh, um, that I met, were, were awesome too. Louis Chabot and, and Charlie Cook were the two guys that kind of took me around. And it's funny. I still keep in touch with Charlie all the time. We were actually just texting this morning. We're doing a little fitness challenge together right now. And, you know, like just the combination of the hockey, the academics, and then meeting some of the players. And I just knew I was going to fit in just a blue collar attitude, just team first. That's, that's what I wanted out of my college experience and um, couldn't have asked for anything better. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, and you just mentioned Charlie Cook there. Um, and we asked this question to every player who's been on the podcast so far. You know, who is their mentor uh, that they had through their years at Big Red in Big Red Hockey? And it could be both as a coach, well, for you especially, uh, both as a coach and as a player. Who was your mentor person that kind of took you under your wing and, that, like, you know, helped you grow the most as a player during your time at, with the Big Red? You know, I think from a player standpoint, to be honest with you guys, there was so many. I mean, when I walked in as a freshman, the the leadership that our team had was it was in, it was incredible. I mean, there's so many guys to look up to in so many different ways. You know, obviously Matt Molson was was the guy who was stirring the drink and and he was an all American and all that kind of stuff. Um, he took me under his wing right away. He first day I got to campus, I remember he took me for a workout, just the two of us out on the football field. And he was like, Hey, the, he's trying to teach me the ropes. Like, this is how hard you need to work as a, as a corner hockey player. Um, and bagged me. <laughs> it, was, it was tough, you know, but then I look at, you know, our captains that year, Mike Canoffley, Mike Eagledon and, and, and Charlie Cook. I mean, they were incredible too. Um, I, I think two teammates that really, really, really had a big effect on me just in the type of like person I wanted to be was the Abbott twins, you know, Cam and Chris Abbott uh, um, were just the ultimate teammates. Just, just, you couldn't ask for anything better when they graduated. It, like it, it had a severe effect on our team because just their competitiveness and their willingness to buy into certain roles and, and their, you know, their, how much they cared about the players and the team, those guys had a really big effect on me too. And, and so it's hard to say one because I just got really lucky and my class got really lucky coming in. We just had such great leadership um, from a player standpoint. Uh, it was awesome. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll bet. And yeah, that's certainly a good story. Yeah, And I can go on, like I can go on, like, 
Johnny Gleed and and Dan Pegarero and and Louis Shabbat and and there's just so many just awesome guys. Jeremy Downs, who I still keep in touch with, like it just that's what made it special. Yeah, no, I know, and it's really great to hear. And as well, you know, it's kind of special that we get to have you on a podcast, uh, though it's quite familiar for you because you do run your own podcast as a part of the hockey think tank so can you inform our listeners for those who like don't know what is the hockey think tank yeah sure i mean the hockey think tank is uh just a a organization company that i started all about uh hockey education for players and and coaches and and parents so we've been doing a bunch of different stuff it kind of started on a whim i just started putting some video breakdowns on social media one day and then people started to like it and wanted more and you know, that built into a website and then that built into a conference which built into a podcast. And, and so um, it's, it's been a lot of fun just staying in the hockey world and being able to connect with a bunch of different people. The, the podcast has been so much fun. I do it with my cousin. Uh, he played professional hockey for 10 years. He went to Western Michigan. Um, and so uh, we, we just have a great, a great time to just bring in people on shape's been on the podcast. Benny's been on the podcast. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other alumni we've had Ben Scrivens came on the podcast as well. And so, um, yeah, we're almost 200 episodes in now we've been doing it for over three years and, and, uh, it's been fun every week to just kind of talk some hockey with some good hockey people. Yeah, no, I'm sure you're really glad you took that jump as well. Cause as you mentioned, all the great people they've been able to interview and as well, I'm sure some, some new faces in the communities, you know, guys like Alex Tuck, Paul Stastny, Patrick Stefan, you know, these are all, you know, guys, you know, just to name a few who are really, you know, at the top of the, the hockey game. So what was it like to sit down with such stars in the game? It's fun. You know, it's fun to talk hockey with people who see it maybe on a little bit of a different level. And we've had awesome players on like that. We've had great coaches on like that. And, you know, you learn something every time you get the chance to, to do that. And a lot of the guys you, you have certain relationships with, too. You know, Staz says the guy I've known for a long time. He was best friends with Jeff, who's my podcast partner since they were like five years old. And so being able to talk to him about some hockey and share some some experiences that we've had together was a lot of fun. You know, Tucky, Tucky's a kid that we tried to recruit to Cornell, <laughs> ultimately end up going to BC. But, um, you know, ribbing him a little bit and him ribbing me a little bit for that decision. Um, but just uh, really cool to see him back you know playing in buffalo now uh really cool to have a hometown kid back here um yeah i mean it's just at the end of the day it's fun just talking hockey it's it's awesome to be able to learn from some of those high profile people and and uh, we hope to continue to to bring some more people like that on it's been a lot of fun yeah and you're also you know i think this is correct you're also in your second year of coaching the windy city storm the 16 uh, the u16 triple a squad so I guess, you know, you've had your, a lot in your coaching career. Do you have any, you know, things or or any ideas of maybe, you know, what's next or what's down the road? Oh man, if I keep doing that, I'm going (laughs) to, that's not going to be good. I'm just trying to focus on the present moment right now. You know, I, uh, I got three small kids. I got three girls under five years old. Um, we just moved back here to Chicago, my hometown, which has been fantastic, especially having some, some grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles help with the, with the kids. Um, but yeah, just trying to like, it's such a stupid cliche answer, but just trying to live a little bit more in the moment and, uh, just focus on doing the best I can here right now. And, 
Um, if that leads to other things down the road, it leads to other things, but we're really happy here right now. And, and, uh, the Windy City organization has been a lot of fun. We actually have, you know, we've got some kids that are drafted in the USHL. We had a kid commit to uh, Colorado college earlier in the year. So still very much involved in, you know, helping these kids find spots in juniors and in, in college and still keeping in touch with all the college guys and the junior guys. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun coaching youth hockey is a lot different than coaching college hockey. <laughs> oh, yeah, so uh, a lot is a big learning curve. I, I was talking earlier about how it was a learning curve coaching in college, but it's, uh, it's also a learning curve coaching youth hockey too, uh, for the good, the bad and the ugly, but I'm enjoying my time here now and, and just trying to focus on that. I'll bet. I'll bet. It's definitely a good, uh, experience and, uh, living in the moment. That's, that's words to live by. I'll say. It's hard to do, right? But mm-hmm. try to do it as much as you can. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I think that's pretty uh, sound advice for all of our listener, <laughs> listeners and, and ourselves too. I guess, you know, you've had, you've been coaching on so many different levels throughout, you know, hockey. And I was you know, just kind of curious, was there any point where, you know, this co- working with guys a lot younger than you, you know, the U16 team, where they kind of like rejuvenated your love of hockey? I know you've never really left the game and it's always been a part of your life, but was there any moments like that where, you know, you could see that their excitement and everything like that. And it kind of inspired you to, to go on. Yeah. I think every level brings with it, it's challenges, but it also brings with it, you know, a lot of benefits too. And I think working with the younger kids, it, it really, you know, hammers India how much, um, focusing on the, the passion development of the game is important. And I tell, I tell anybody who will listen, especially the younger kids, and I'm fortunate enough to coach that the, the biggest by or like the biggest similarity of the players that I've either coached or played with that have gone on to the next level is they just love to play hockey. They love the game. It's what they want to do. And then, then they also put a plan together and they work at it. You know, it's, it's a, it's an everyday thing where they're trying to work at their craft. And so I think working with the, especially the younger you get, you really try and continue to make it fun. Uh, youth hockey's a grind too. Like I was talking about juniors in college being a grind, like youth hockey, these kids play way too many games. Um, it, there's so much pressure on them from such a young age that a lot of times I feel like that passion can kind of get knocked out of them um, by a lot of the different external factors, whether it's, you know, parents or whether it's the, the path to high level hockey that just becomes very stressful at such a young age because kids think that if they don't make the right team at 12 years old, then their hockey career is over when that's just not the case, you know? And so, yeah, I think working with the younger kids, it just, it it really solidifies how much you need to um, be hard on them, but also make sure that they're smiling every time they come to the rink and they want to be there. And, and, you know, it's just kind of simple science, right? Like if you love something, you're going to want to do it more. And when you want to do it more, you're going to put more into it and you're going to do it more. And then when you focus on doing the skills necessary and building those habits, you're just, you're going to get better, but it, it all starts with that love and that passion for what you're doing. Definitely. Yeah. Especially, you know, for the love of the game and, you know, just to kind of wrap up the, our sin bin portion, I, I'm curious if you have any other comments or reflections, maybe interesting stories you'd like to share about your time uh, with the big red hockey. I mean, guys, like we can, we can do this for hours. <laughs> if you ask me about stories uh, about, you know, things that happened in Cornell, I think, it's just my experience as, as a player and then being able to come back as a coach. It just, it really is a special place. You know, it's a, it's a special, special place. Um, we won championships there. Uh, we've been able to raise a ton, a ton of money 
for the special needs community through our Racker Rivals Big Red Initiative, which we're still doing today. Um, you know, it's the funny part about Cornell is, you know, when I was came there as a student athlete in, in 2004 and now in 2022, it's still a lot of the same people that are around. And so it's just, uh, it, it's, it's something that's pretty special in that, in that sense that there's this just community feel to it. And I, I know that I'm not the only one that feels that way. Pretty much everybody that comes through the Cornell hockey program just has very, very fond memories. And, and it was just a awesome time. I'll bet. I'll bet it, it never gets old. I know some of the townies, uh, I, I see some of these guys at the games. It's like, oh, yeah, I've been coming here for 30 years, never missed a game. I'm like, oh, yep. my goodness, I can't even imagine that. Yep. And like for you, especially, you know, you've gone through the you've you've gone through everything that it means to like the entire Cornell experience with Cornell hockey from a player to a coach and everything beyond um, and, and, and just being a, a, a faithful alumni and whatnot. And so with that, thank you so much for uh, joining us, Topher, on this edition of The Sin Bin. Um, but don't go anywhere, as listeners already know what's up next. It's the Slapshot Round up next, so we'll see you there. Welcome to the Slapshot Round. We're back with Topher Scott, where we're going to ask the hard-hitting, fun questions. So, Topher, are you ready to go? I'm a little nervous now, but yeah, here we go. <laughs> All right, so we got some intel that while you were coaching youth hockey, you did do some announcing. Is that correct? I did, yeah. So when, I think for two years, I did the color commentary for the ESPN games. Uh, so that was fun, for sure. Oh. Did it with Grady Wittenberg. Okay. Grady was awesome, yeah. Awesome. Well, did you have any like go-to phrases or sayings behind the mic? <laughs> I, I don't think I had any go-to phrases, but um, it's a learning curve. It's a lot of fun actually to do it. Um, I, and you like the one thing that's hard is you can't like, you have to try to kind of be impartial. You can't be a fan when you're doing it. So like there were a couple of times when Cornell would score right and cheer. I'd be like, yeah. And then uh, and, like Grady would look at me. I'd be like, oh, that's right. I can't do that. Oh, my bad. So uh, that, that was probably the it, it, catchphrase was probably trying to hold myself from doing catchphrases. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'll bet. Yeah. Well, didn't we have we had Grady Wittenberg, the 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 guy who's he does the ESPN Plus games now for uh, mm -hmm. for Cornell and the yep. Ivy League. Yep, yep. Yeah, so we, he's who I worked with for the. Oh, for oh no way! That I was doing oh, yeah. Awesome. Oh, yeah, we, sick. We had him. We had uh, our normal uh, co-host Sean does the ones and twos on the uh, at the games on the camera off. So he, uh, we've had uh, we got him to get a quick interview with Grady. Uh, actually oh, for, I think, nice. for our first episode and he yeah, was, was, really, was awesome yeah. so great he's great i mean you know when i stepped in i'd never done that before and so it, it he made it very easy for me you know he just kind of mm -hmm. tease you up right where you know he's his job is much harder than mine was where he's talking about the play and he's got to keep the flow going and everything and then you know he'll tee you up for some analysis or some thoughts and things like that he's uh he's a pro and and he did really really well and helped me a lot mm-hmm uh, yeah, that's, that's awesome. And each uh, podcast, we try to ask uh, this question. So, you know, for the for a guy who's been a part of hockey for so long, hopefully it'll be a good answer. Hopefully a little bit unbiased, but we'll see. Uh, do you have an <laughs> NHL team that you think most likely to win the cup this year? This year? 
Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, I think there's probably a handful of teams that that could. Um, I would probably have to go with Colorado. Oh, okay. Solid, solid pick. Yeah. He's taking he's taking Dan Rosen's sign there. I know Dan <laughs> Rosen had a huge thing on the uh, at the rink about that. You know what they've they every every championship team has had to hit some you know like the Oilers got beat by the Islanders and the Bulls got beat by the Pistons and all that kind of stuff. They've had their they've had to learn from their heartbreak a little bit. I don't know if they have the goaltending to be able to to do it. And uh, but I think uh, I just. I love watching them play. They got some unbelievable players. So spur of the moment off the top of my head, I got to go with Colorado. Are, are you a Blackhawks fan? Uh, yeah, I was just about to ask that. Like, as a To be spirit. honest, like not really. Um, so when oh, I was growing okay. up in Chicago, the, the Hawks were really bad, like really, mm-hmm. really bad. And the, the owner, like they didn't have home games on TV. It was kind of like, if you want to come watch us, then you're going to have to come to the stadium. And it, so it was just kind of like a not great time to be growing up in Chicago as a as a hockey fan. And so my team growing up was actually the Red Wings, which was the rivals of the Hawks for a long time. I was like a big Steve Eiserman fan and they had the Russian five there and it was just so fun to watch. So uh grew up a Red Wings fan. Now, now I kind of just cheer for, you know, you, you know, so many players that are playing mm-hmm. or, or guys yeah. that are coaching at that level. So you kind of cheer for individuals more than teams yeah. hope that they win. But um, yeah, no, I, I get asked that a lot. Are you a Blackhawks fan? I said, no, nah, I'm actually, I didn't grow up Blackhawks fans. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, I asked because, I, you know, speaking of Colorado, Kale McCarr as well as an NCAA guy uh, to UMass. I don't know if you saw that goal he made a, a few nights back. Oh, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, I know too. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, that was, <laughs> that was unbelievable. I mean, that yeah. kid, geez, Louise. Yeah, that was he made he made a couple of people look really bad in that play. <laughs> oh, yeah, poor Mark Andre Fleury. That's all I got to say. And receiving yeah. any of that stuff. Uh-huh, yeah, sure. it's really that three on three really makes it entertaining. You know, a lot more space on the ice. So, yep, for sure. That was he was good. He's really mm-hmm. good. <laughs> all right. Well, now switching back to uh, when you were a player for Cornell or just in general, did you ever have any like pregame rituals? Um, yeah, you kind of, everybody kind of has a routine, you know, uh, it depends on the players. Some guys are a little bit more serious. Some guys are a little bit more, you know, laid back. And if, if it works for you, I mean, there's no right way or wrong way to that. I was probably a little bit more serious. So, you know, one of the things I used to do, I used to always, so the place that I played on the power play, was kind of right at the side of the net. So every game I would always go and sit in the stands right in that area and try to kind of visualize, um, plays happening and things like that. Um, so I, I, that's probably about it. You know, you, you get too superstitious, you psych yourself out, which I also did at, at times, you got to kind of learn to, to let stuff go. But, um, I would say that was kind of my only, only ritual. I always like to have a peanut butter and jelly before the game too, at the rink. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. It's kind of like my guilty vice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to say we had, uh, we had one of our, uh, current players, we had Matt Steinberg on the, on the podcast who's a, yep. a draft pick for the um for Colorado but uh the uh he was talking about how he uh I guess uh during an Ohio State game just started eating cookies before the game and now he's never stopped so like oh wow guess it, yeah so I guess well and, and I guess to follow that up did you have a former teammate with the weirdest pregame ritual huh that's a good question uh I don't I don't think so 
not that not that I can think of. I mean, you always kind of poke fun at goalies for being a little weird with that stuff. Um, you know, the goalies that I played with, you know, Ben Scrivens and Dave McKee, they were they were a little bit more of the laid back kind of goalies, kind of let things go, so they didn't really have any goofy kinds of things. Um, a couple guys that I coached, you know, Andy Isles as a goalie, he was dialed in, like he was as serious as, as they come. And, you know, some guys sometimes have, try to poke fun with things like that. And, um, but I, I can't off the top of my head, I can't really, I'm sure there is, I just can't remember at this point. Oh, no, that's fair. And, uh, to follow that up, I guess, uh, every year, uh, they've said that, oh, you know, they, they delegate a teammate to have the ox for the season so what was your best uh your former teammate with the best ox for the locker room music that's a great question um to be honest i can't remember i'm trying to think if i had to put a name to it it'd probably be dan pegarero um yeah pegs pegs was a guy that was he was a, a leader in the locker room to to make sure that things were light and guys were having fun and stuff like that so I have to imagine that he was doing a pretty good job of, of doing the, uh, the music. That's for sure. Oh yeah. No, that's fair. All right. Awesome. And uh, we also asked uh, Ben Sire uh, this question uh, last week, and I figure it's just as applicable to you in this sense. Have you ever been ejected from a game as a player or coach? Have I ever been ejected? No, I haven't. I've never been ejected as a, as a player wow. or a coach. Yeah. I, uh, I, I'm not a big believer in yelling at the refs as a coach. I, I just think it's counterproductive. Um, and I did get my first bench minor though, this year I, I did do that, but it was, it was a little bit more thought out than me just yelling at the refs, the ref for whatever reason that we had had a little bit of a, I don't know, superiority complex or inferior, whatever it's called yeah. inferiority complex. And it, like, I don't like, let the players play, like stop screaming at the players, like just let their kids, you know, and if you have a problem with them, come and tell me and then I'll, I'll handle it. I'll discipline the kids or, or just throw them in the box. Like just give them a penalty yeah. if they're doing yeah, stuff that you don't like, you know? Yeah. But we had one particular guy that was like literally screaming at my players. So just to kind of defend them. And I was like, Hey, like if you got a problem, talk to me, like stop yelling at the players. And then, so Mr. Referee was like, Oh yeah, you got two minutes now. I was like, all right, right, man. Like, (laughs) but I, uh, yeah, I, so I got my first bench minor this year ever. Um, Mm. but, and I don't anticipate getting any more unless something like that happens again, you gotta defend your guys a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, I I've never heard, well, in my uh, experience being, uh, at Cornell games, I've never seen, Mike Schaefer ever get a well I've seen them get bench minors but not necessarily like he's never been ejected for yelling at any players or anything I remember Ben had a had an interesting take he's like yeah no he doesn't exactly uh yell at the referees like unless it's really ungodly awful uh <laughs> and I've never seen anything like that before um and uh so we're just moving on from that I, I I'm sure you saw the um the Zegras assist uh, to Sonny Milano a few weeks back. And uh, that goal just took the world by storm all over the internet and what have you. Uh, And do you think that you or a fellow teammate could actually pull it off in today's game? Uh, I mean, probably not, (laughs) you know, like those guys are supremely talented. Fun fact for the Cornell fans that are listening. We actually had Sonny Milano in on a, 
on a visit when he was a 16 year old. And so he was oh, no uh, way. a really good no player. I, and I, I still remember the visit because it literally blizzarded that day. It was like one of the worst like winter days Ithaca has seen in a long time. And of, of course it's during, you know, Sonny Milano's visit. Um, but either way, uh, that, I mean, the Zegris, that, that was so cool. It was awesome. I love seeing guys trying to do things, you know, there's a time and a place for it, obviously, but I just think growing the game, seeing stuff like that is, is pretty cool. And obviously we're still talking about it right now. It was all over social media for about a week and, and, uh, could I pull it off? I actually, I love when I play men's league, that's one of my favorite things to do is to try to flip the puck over the net to, to a teammate. And I actually have done it in uh miami so i was a graduate assistant in miami ohio and so i played like intramurals with some of the other coaches and just some staff and stuff and myself and nick petraga who's one of the other assistant coaches we actually did it so i flipped it over the net and he hit it in wow. <laughs> so um we've done it but um not in like a real game setting for sure that's that's pretty Pretty you won the, uh, the 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 conference championship uh, at Miami of Ohio, right? Or yep, yeah. yep, we won CCHA championship that year. So we had an Man. awesome group. Uh, yeah, Andy Mealy, Andy Mealy won the Hobie Baker that year. He was incredible. Uh, that was that was a great experience, fun experience. And I got to coach with Brent Brecky, who was one of our assistant coaches when I played at Cornell, um, who is a huge mentor of mine. Uh, he's coaching at he's the head coach at St. Lawrence now. Um, Blue, yeah. And so yeah, that was uh, that was a fun experience for sure. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely uh, ahead of its time. And as well, you know, it, changing gears a little bit, we, uh, we, have, we haven't given a, we got to give more love, I think, to the big red marching band. But our, our question for you is uh, if you had to play an instrument in the big red marching band, let's say you maybe injured, couldn't have played in, in a game. Uh, what instrument would you have to go on if, if you had to? Well, I played a little bit of drums growing up. Um, I, I always kind of loved drummers and I, I, I just, Still, if, if I can, if there's a house that I'm at that has a drum set, I'll, I'll kick it a little bit. But I, I think the cymbals guy, that's become a really cool thing, right? Like mm. the, the cymbal guy is, is a lot of fun. He does a pretty pretty good job of hyping the crowd up and stuff. So I, I would love to take that over maybe for uh, for a day. That'd be yeah. pretty fun. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I play the drums too. It's it's, it's awesome. So uh, I have a few. I know the uh, – shout out to Justin, the guy who does the bass drum and, and the marching band. But uh, – yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, I guess our next question is, you, know, you have a lot of, uh, you know, friends in the hockey industry. And so when you were a player for Cornell, were there any like opposing players that you were close friends with, but you know, on the ice, it was, it was a different story. Not, not as, I mean, yeah, the answer to that question is yes. Cause you play against teammates that you had in the past and things like that, you know? So it's always kind of interesting to line up against somebody that you played with and battled with. And then now you got to try to do it against them. Um, but yeah, I mean, hockey's a small world too. And so and it's getting even smaller and smaller. I mean, back when I played, this was kind of like the internet was just starting to become a thing. There was no social media or anything like that. And, and a lot of times there's a lot of summer tournaments and things going on like that now. So the kids know each other a lot more now than we did back when we were playing. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, there's some, there's some players that, yeah, you know what our friends with but you want to kill them when when you're on the ice with them the friendships are over for 60 yeah. minutes and then you get back into it yeah. yeah then you're playing golf with them the next week or something <laughs> exactly yeah. exactly yeah yeah oh, for sure and you know was there one thing that maybe you didn't necessarily expect but you you missed a lot about what playing co collegiately at cornell 
uh, I mean, again, how much time do you have? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's so much. There's so much that you miss. I mean, like I said earlier, you miss the camaraderie of of the players. You know, that's that's always something that um, everybody will talk about. But I think the unique part about playing at Cornell is is the crowd. You know, mm-hmm. and and playing in, at line of rank and and the thrill of of winning a game or scoring a goal at at Lina. and that's something that I, I miss a lot. Just that rush, and I kind of got a little bit of a piece of that when we do the Racker Rivals Big Red hockey games because we we don't fill the place like a typical Cornell game, but you get a couple thousand fans in there, and you kind of feel that rush again, and you just you you miss it even more, right? So yeah. I, I think yeah, just the camaraderie of the group, and then and then specifically for Cornell you know, walking down that tuddle and, and going out to, to, you know, the Cornell song and, and all that, that's, that's something you, yeah. you wish, you wish you can do it. You can give anything to do it one more time. Yeah. Yeah. And I know this, this question is kind of, uh, kind of be the antithesis of that. Now that you've been working on the uh, coaching uh, side of hockey and as well as on the uh, media content production side, what's one thing that you don't miss about playing hockey? <laughs> Don't miss about playing hockey. Uh, I mean, I'm yeah, I, like I mean, as a player. I'm reminded about it every day. You know, the injuries and just the oh, <laughs> the wear and tear of of the body. You know, I had six surgeries in in my hockey career, and you know, you would, wouldn't change it for anything, right? Like it's yeah. just a part of it. Um, it's not like I would go back and, and change anything. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, I still feel it every day when I get up in the morning, you know, the shoulders are a little and the knees are a little and the back's a little, and I could probably do a little bit better job of <laughs> taking care of my body a little bit better and working out and stretching a little bit more. But uh, if there was anything, but, but again, it's a, it's an all encompassing experience. You take the good and the bad with it. You can't, yeah. you can't have one without the other. So, um, but yeah, it's, injuries were not, not the funnest to deal with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, on that note about working out, so you're a Chicago boy, so you tell us, Chicago deep dish pizza or New York style pizza, which is better? Oh, you know what's really funny? That's a great question. And so my wife is from right outside New York. She lives in New Jersey. We met met at Cornell, right? So we argue about Chicago versus New York all the time in terms of which city is better. And literally the only thing that I give to her is pizza. I'm a much bigger fan of the New York pizza than I am of the deep dish stuff. I wow. Like too much, okay. Too much cheese, too much. Like there's just too much in Chicago style pizza. Oh, and hot uh, take. yeah, yes. but like that is the only thing I will give her. That is the only oh, thing that I will fair. give her between Chicago and New York city. <laughs> so, so where in Jersey is she from? You mentioned New Jersey, Northern Jersey, right outside. The oh street. yeah. Cause yeah. yeah. Cause my dad's from New Jersey as well. So. Okay. Sure. Uh, small world there. Whereabouts? Whereabouts uh, he, well, he's from uh, Long Branch. That's like kind of the Jersey Shore. It's not yep. so much like up near Secaucus, but near like down towards like Tom's River and, yep. and that stuff. Uh, and they, I, I know Jersey's been, uh, he didn't grow up a, a Devils fan though, because he, he wasn't really into hockey. It was kind of me that got him into hockey. So nice. Yeah, kind of, and then um, definitely, uh, no, it's small world. Yeah, and I, I guess our next question, you talked a little bit about the, the atmosphere of Lina. Is there like a specific Cornell uh, tradition or like, you know, Lina faithful chant that is your favorite? Well, I, I mean, the throwing the fish at the Harvard game is certainly one that's mm. it's always pretty funny. But to be honest with you, like coming out as a player 
after the second period, right before the third period, and they're p- playing the Gary Glitter song, like that just pumps you up so much, you know, and the crowd's doing their chant and the the clap and stuff, you know, that that's pretty cool. That's mm-hmm. pretty cool. It gets you amped up. And even as a coach, you get back out onto the bench there and you're just like, man, I wish I was playing right now. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I, I miss it so much. Uh, yeah. I think that that's one of the traditions that I think is, is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a common one too. Not only did Benny say that, I think sort of, but a lot of the players that we've had on. So yeah, yeah. Well, the traditions haven't changed, man. Like they haven't <laughs> changed enough. in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so no, yeah. you're probably gonna hear a lot of the same same uh, same answers. Yeah. And you know, after Cornell, you did spend a few years in the Central Hockey League. Uh, so was it weird? Yeah. Uh, you know, spending half your time maybe in a, in a cold rink, and then the other half in the hot climate. Uh, of texas or wherever you're playing or maybe it was a nice change of pace from ithaca (laughs) (laughs) weird is not the right word for it great is the right word for it Mm. yeah you go in you practice at 10 a.m and you're out of the rink by you know some days by 11 30 some days by one whatever it may be and you're you're walking out to 70 degree weather and yeah you can you can do whatever Mm -hmm. so um no that was awesome it was great i lived I lived actually for a couple months in Fort Worth. So that still kind of has a winter climate in the winter, mm. you know, it's still yeah, a little yeah. bit and things like that. But then I got traded and I went down to Rio Grande Valley, which is literally three miles from the border of Mexico. And mm. yeah, it was, that was nice. That was really, really nice playing mm. in that climate. No, I'll bet. I'll bet. And the big red just, uh, well, well, they're actually going up to North Dakota uh, this week from uh, Arizona, they've been playing. I, I I've been looking on social media. A bunch of players been saying they've been playing golf every day because it's in Arizona. You know the weather's just so nice. Mm-hmm. Tough but, life, right? Tough life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tough life. <laughs> tough life. And now this is uh, what I had alluded to earlier. So, <clears throat> uh, shout out to all the Nickelback uh, fans, and I'm very sorry to the audio listeners that I can't show you this. But Topher, I've been meaning to show you this for a long time. This is. I don't know if you can see this here. Hold on. This is me from about 15 years ago. Oh my God. I, no I went, way. Yeah. 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 No, 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 no. I went. Is that uh, Scribs too? Yeah. That's Scribs. That's oh, you geez. and Scribs in uh, your senior year, 2008. I would, I think I was like, uh, I was, I was eight years old at the time. And it was one of the uh, games that my dad took me to. And of course I got, I got to be, I got to take a picture with you and Scribs back in the day. That's uh, so funny. Wow. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if it makes you feel old, but like it yeah, does. No, not, yeah. It does. And, and now right. to be here, like, well, and that's why it was such an honor for us to do this interview, especially because like not only did I get to take a picture with you back in the day, but now I'm actually at Cornell doing the hockey cast. So and, cool. You know, I ring you know what though? Like, you what? feel do you do the cowbell too? Yeah, yeah. I do the cowbell and I, I oh. do the telephone chance mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So then, you are, you're, you're an important person in corner hockey. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't like to brag at all, but that's kind of like, <laughs> that's, that, that's my little fanboy moment right there. Yeah. That's my, my 10, uh, my two minutes of fame, every game, second period, third period without fail. Uh, hey, you know what though? I, in all seriousness to that, like, that's awesome. 
to, that you do that. But I don't think you probably recognize how important of a role that is to Cornell hockey for a lot of different reasons. You know, number one, you ask the question, what do you miss the most? We talk about the crowd, right? And yeah. you're a big part of, of that. And yeah. number two, a lot of the reason why kids come to Cornell in the recruiting process is because they come to a game and they see yeah. the crowd and they're like, yeah, I want to do this. You know, like mm-hmm. I want to play in front of this crowd. So I wouldn't underestimate the fact that, you know, what you're doing, doing the cowbell guy and the chance and things like that. Like that's, that's a big deal, man. That's really cool. And, and we have you to thank for a lot. So I know there's a lot of people that have had that role in the past and, but I mean, the, the crowd is such a integral part oh, of no, it's tradition. the fabric of Cornell hockey, you know, and we so. wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, that's part yeah. of the atmosphere, the rustic uh, feel of mm-hmm. the rink and then oh, yeah. being able to, you know, come there every weekend. And then we do our, we do our thing, you know, tradition is, is the best. And, yeah, and yeah. I, know, I know even for like me, uh, I'm from Canada, so I'm a big hockey fan. I played hockey growing up, but Definitely was nowhere near the caliber to to come jo- play for the Big Red, but you know I had a sister who went to Cornell, so I got to come to a few games, and I got to go to the game actually in 2017, which we had a uh, coach Ben Sire uh, talk about when we, we we beat Harvard. I think you know, Alec McRae scored with 1.2 seconds yeah. left or something. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, the full the full crowd going nuts and everything. Even though I wasn't playing on the ice, I was like, man, it's a pretty cool community and, and i want to go to school here so it's definitely that's a big one part of the of, loudest that's one of yeah. the loudest i've ever heard that rank after that goal that was pretty mm-hmm. cool mm-hmm. yeah pretty cool no i'll bet and and now I, and this is a sort of random question here but um i noticed that you had because i you know did some digging on the hockey think tank and i noticed one of the titles of your episodes is the 10 tof mandments so do tell us what are the 10 tough commandments with regard to hockey? Oh man. Well, it's not really in regards to hockey. It's more, more a life thing. Oh, okay. Um, you know, it's just, you know, this time of year, it's the holidays. You kind of reevaluate a bunch of different stuff and it's more just how can you, you know, how can you live a more fulfilling life, be a little bit happier, be a little bit more dialed into to the stuff that you're doing to be honest. I could, it's like it's on a list that in my in my bed bedroom right now so off the top of my head I, I couldn't give you all of them um, but a lot of them have to do with you know like you know mental health is physical health yeah. and making sure you're taking care of your mind and your body and they go hand in hand surround yourself with the right people um, I think that's number one for me is making sure that you're around they we're big believers that you're you're the byproduct. I know it's a cliche thing, but you're a byproduct of the, the five people that you hang out with uh, the most. So surround yourself with the right people that can help you along the way. Um, you know, resiliency, build the resiliency muscle every day. Every day you have a choice, even when things aren't going very well to, to choose to see the good and stuff. And so just little things like that, that will help me and anybody that listened to that episode, maybe give them some ideas on how they can be a little bit more engaged and a little bit happier in, in 2022. Awesome. Well, I think on that note, I think that's, we're going to wrap it up for the slap shot round. So thank you so much to alumni Topher Scott for joining us. Best of luck with the hockey think tank and, you know, all of our listeners and a lot of faithful community should check it out, uh, especially the podcast. It's we, we got to listen to a few episodes, which were, which were awesome. And I guess on that note, let's go big red and thanks. Yeah, yeah. Go big yeah, red. Thanks, guys. All, yeah. All the best to the family and, you know, hope you guys have a, a great rest of the week you know again thanks for coming out it's a true honor 
and uh, we wouldn't uh, wouldn't miss it for the world. We love awesome. we love doing this. So awesome! Keep up the good work and uh, stay warm out there, will you? Oh yeah, yeah, we'll <laughs> do. We'll do. Of course. Truly an honor to hear from Topher Scott, one of my childhood idols and definitely a hero in terms of big red hockey. I was line of faithful since I was five and I will never forget that, Uh, you know, at eight years old, being there at the rink uh, with Ben Scrivens and Topher Scott, it took me into the locker room and all that. It's great. I'll post that picture on social media sometime. It's uh, very interesting to let every one of y'all see it. Anyways, with that, before I get all, fanboy ish uh <laughs> the week ahead let's look into the week ahead so what's interesting we're back in ecac uh, place so we have a double header on the road uh, against yale and brown uh, january 14th and 15th respectively however what's interesting about yale and we ran into this uh actually at the time of recording yeah. uh, because we found out that there's a discrepancy on the scheduling or in terms of scheduling on the website, uh, on the Cornell website and the Yale website, because as of right now, Yale has listed on their website that they have postponed the January 14th game. However, Cornell does not, uh, Cornell has not done that. So at the time of recording, I'd, I'd say, you know, the game is still a go until it ain't over <laughs> till they say it's over. Uh, but it will be regardless of whether it's postponed or not. It will be their first official match of 2022 as they have been plagued with COVID. Yale has uh, the Bulldogs yeah. been plagued with COVID for the, for the, and not the start to 2022 that they had imagined. And at present, they're last in the ECAC with only five points. Um, but we'll get to see. Uh, it is yet to be decided if we will uh, drop the puck at Yale on the 14th. Um However, the 15th, this is for certain. Nobody's postponed anything. Uh, Brown, uh, Cornell will go up to Providence and will play the Brown Bears. They're coming off a 7-1 loss to Merrimack and will play Colgate the night before Cornell. So uh, Brown is currently ninth in the ECAC standings with 10 points. They're not playing their best hockey, but certainly – as we have seen from a Cornell perspective, Brown is not a team to sleep on. As we saw during our first matchup with Brown, um, the the absolute uh, displays of grand larceny from Matthew Caron uh, <laughs> on, in between the pipes, and yeah. it is uh, we had to beat them in overtime. Anyways, I digress. So certainly not a team to sleep on. Um, but so with that. So you found out something interesting uh, while we were recording this, Sean. What did you find out? Yes, I did. And apparently the ECAC Hockey Awards of the Week have just been released, just right now. And unsurprisingly, Ian Shane won Goalie of the Week, so kudos to him for winning the award in two consecutive weeks. Extremely well-deserved. Oh, Again, yeah. you said it. man of the weekend, not the man of two hours, not the man of a single hour, the man of the weekend. Oh, so yeah. Ian Shane, congrats to you there. 
And, you know, the lad has an extremely promising future, as we were discussing. Just what a guy. <laughs> recording. Yeah. Now, of course, uh, or rather, moreover, Cornell's very own Kovic and Pjanicka split the Rookie of the Week award. The Rookie of the Week award. That's a little bit of a tongue twister, I think. Yes. And, you know, it's another well-deserved tip of the hat from the ECAC. And, you know, one could say it's another belated birthday gift for Pshenichka. So congrats to them. And once again, happy birthday or happy belated birthday to Pshenichka. And yes. to put the icing on the big red velvet cake, Matt Steinberg won the ECAC Player of the Month Award given his offensive contributions throughout December. And he is now the second straight big red player to win the award right after Andrea for the month of November. So of course, congrats to you, Mr. Steinberg and great timing too, since we had you on the show recently. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, interesting stuff that it just came out right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. But the, what would you know, man? I mean, Oh, and I, I still have to mention this on air that I, and you can hold me to this. Yeah. I am buying uh, Matt Steinberg per, and personally delivering it to the Big Red Hockey locker room, uh, a 20 pack of insomnia cookies. <laughs> I meant to bring that up to him uh, on the slap shot round when we had him here, but I'm going to, I'm going to hold myself to this. I'm going to guess he never had insomnia cookies before. So I'm going to, I'm going to hit him up with that uh, come the Princeton game. Uh, two weeks from now. It's a congratulatory gift. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. And I guess with ending on the note of cookies, as usual, I guess, tradition yes. now, uh, we thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Big Red Hockey Cast. Of course, this has been a Big Red Sports Network production. We'll see you on the next one. Ciao, ciao for now. Yep. <laughs>